and thank you for this wonderful opportunity um, to bring forth your word, to discuss uh, scripture, um, Lord, with your people. And we just ask that you would um, bless our time together, Lord, and just help us to um, glorify you, Father, and give praise to you in all that we do. And give us uh, understanding, Father, for the scripture, that we could understand it, Father, and, and just put it into action in our lives, Father. Take these things and make them real for us and how we live each day, Lord. And help us also just to understand your mind, Lord. Just understand who you are um, and get to know you better as we get to know your word that you've given us. And we thank you and praise you. Amen. Okay, so if you don't know me, my name is Tim Long. And I uh, became a member here about a year ago, I think. Um, I went to the class about a year ago, so it's going on over there in the fellowship hall, which is why we're in here. So um, it's a little bit more formal of a setting here, but don't feel like you have to be formal. So I might throw out some questions, and uh, you can just uh, yell out the answers. I'll try and repeat and, and uh, um, kind of summarize what you say just for the recording and that type of thing. So it's good to be here with you guys. I'm really honored to have the opportunity to be able to discuss God's Word with you um, and teach a Sunday school class here. And you guys are a great bunch of people. Uh, seems like a, there's a lot of Bible scholars at this church, I've noticed. People uh, seem to read their Bible and, and study it, and that's a good thing. It's a reflection on, on the church and the leadership. It's, it's good to see. So we talked last week about Acts chapter 13. So who can give me a summary of everything that happened in on the 53 verses of Acts chapter 13? No, I'm just kidding. That's okay. Um, I, uh, I got six pages here of notes, so uh, I want to try and get through all this. I'm just going to keep going until the end, so whatever time we end is all good with me. But uh, yeah, it's interesting when you prepare a study like this. Um, it seems like the more you read, the more you think about it, the brain kind of uh, churning in the background. I keep thinking of more things to say, and I always end up with like double or triple the amount of notes that I could possibly ever get through in a time frame. So, uh, but it's good. It's fun. Uh, it's a good. It's a good fun thing to do. But uh, it is difficult to pare it down. Um, but it's a great chapter. So in Acts chapter 13, we saw that you know Paul and Barnabas were touring around. Um, and going to lots of different places. They continue to go to lots of different places. If you guys have one of those uh, Bible maps uh, in the back of your Bible, which I, I think everybody's Bible has one, right? Unless you have one of those that are just purely the pages of Scripture and nothing more. If you have any kind of study Bible, it should have um, the maps in the back. And if you don't have a study Bible, um, I would highly recommend getting one. It's great to have all those resources and kind of the introductions to each uh, book of the Bible and all that. I have the Reformation Study Bible here, which I think is a good one. Good old R.C. Sproul um, did a great job. So I like that one a lot. Um, but Acts chapter 13, um, we saw that Paul gave a great sermon. If you haven't read one of Paul's sermon, probably not in entirety, but a lot of it and a lot of the major points that he makes, it's there in chapter 13. It's great to go read um, and we saw that they had great success in their preaching, and the people responded, were hungry for more. Um, do people, here's a question for you. Oh, uh, and by the way, with the outlines, I'm not going to do like Andrew and like, 
I don't have the, the words, you know, exactly to put in there. You'll just kind of have to listen along. I'll, I'll talk about the blanks and the outline, but I just, you know, want you guys to go ahead and fill in what you think the answers to my little questions in there should be. But here's a question for you. Do people always respond to good, solid, biblical preaching? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we see the, the response of the people can be good, uh, but it can also not be so good. And, and we see that in Acts chapter 13, where um, you see some people really respond. When I say respond, I mean respond positively, like they, they want more and they're, they're interested and excited to hear it. Of course, you're right, there is a response uh, pretty much either way. You're either going to soften your heart towards the things of God or harden your heart towards the things of God. And I, I don't know about you guys, um, but since we're all, you know, presumably uh, believers here, um, when that day came, when you heard the words of God for the first time, your heart, uh, maybe it wasn't the first time, but maybe one of the times, your heart was soft towards it and you were able to receive it, which is uh, how it was with me. Um, you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian background or anything, but when, when the word of God was told to me, and when people started talking about it, it was like, oh, whoa, this is interesting. I think I need to know more about this, and wanted to know more, and it just kind of, I know when I first started reading the Bible, um, it just started to wake up my mind, wake up my heart, you know, the, the Lord working there. So people don't always respond positively. Um, so we think about, who, who are some examples of people in the Old Tes- Testament who had very unsuccessful and I say successful in quotes, successful in terms of we see a response. Who had a very unsuccessful ministry? Jeremiah, Jeremiah, yeah. We call him Jerry, but uh, Jeremiah, the prophet from the Old Testament, is uh, is used as an example of someone who preached faithfully for many, many years, uh, decades, and as as we, what's recorded in the scripture, we don't really see any positive response. People pretty much harden their hearts against him. So who's an example of somebody that had great success, that did, you know, had a, a tremendous positive response. Probably a lot of them. Jonah, yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. Um, Jonah had extremely successful ministry, even though he didn't even want to be there, right? He ended up in the great fish and was trying to uh, flee from fulfilling uh God's charge for him and preaching the gospel, and uh, he just wanted to get out of there, so he wasn't even willing really to go at first until God really convinced him by him uh, getting thrown off a ship and swallowed by the great fish, and uh, you know, he ended up having, going to Nineveh, and of course having, you know, people just responded, but it wasn't really him, right? It was, you know, God working in the people, and the people were ready for the message at that time, so it's just kind of interesting to compare and contrast those two. And of course, there's stories of missionaries um, that go to different places that some, you know, are there for a few years and start to have converts and start to have great success. And some, you know, they minister for decades and die and, and nothing happens. And then, you know, later on, uh, after they leave, um, you, you know, there's a success. That, so some people don't even really see it uh, in their lifetimes. And so, uh, or some people see a little bit in their lifetimes and then a tremendous response after they're gone. But you look at Christ, um, his preaching was, would we say his preaching was probably pretty solid? Pretty spot on? 
yeah, I mean, you, you can't get better than him, right? He's God uh, in the flesh. His preaching was right on, and yet you see the same thing with him. You see that sometimes people responded well, and sometimes uh, they didn't. And it's usually the same people. It's kind of the, you know, I don't know, call the normal average uh, people of the city uh, that respond well, and it's usually the religious leaders, um, you know, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of that, um, that hate him, and they can't stand this message of biblical preaching that he brings. So, um, you know, even if uh, you have perfect preaching, like Christ obviously did, uh, that doesn't mean it's going to be successful all the time, or it doesn't mean people are going to respond biblically or respond um, to the word all the time. And you see today, um, churches around the country, I've been at a few different churches in my life. I've been at some big churches and some small churches, and I don't know exactly where you draw that line, but you know, you say a church of 30, 40, 50 people. Um, I believe that some of the the greatest preachers uh, in in the country, um, you know, here in the, speaking of here in the U.S., and I'm sure it's true everywhere in the world, um, are preaching at churches of 40, 50 people, some great preachers. And there's other preachers, you know, you think of a MacArthur or a Piper, R.C. Sproul, someone like that. They had these big, giant ministries with tens of thousands of people involved, and, and you know, they had a a tremendous response to their preaching, but, you know, that's certainly the exception, not the rule. Um, but some have that great response and some don't. So let's, uh, someone read for me um, verses 1 and 2 out of Acts chapter 14. Okay, so we see there um, those first couple of verses. You know, Paul, Paul and Barnabas have made their way to this new city in Iconium. This is where that little map comes out uh, is handy. You know, they were on the island of Cyprus in Acts chapter 13, and now they're going north into Iconium, which is in the area of what we call today Turkey. Um, it was quite a bit different. You know, I think it was a much different country. There was lots of different countries, you know, Galatia and Phrygia and those types of places uh, and regions, um, not necessarily countries. They were all kind of part of the, the Roman Empire. Um, but what we see, you know, in Turkey today is much different, you know, with the Ottoman Empire moving in and taking over um, and the Muslim control of that area and all that. So it was a lot different world, uh, different type of uh, place back when Paul and Barnabas were moving around. So it's about 80 miles um, to the southeast of Antioch. Uh, they had gone from Cyprus to Antioch and then to Iconium. And it was, uh, the city of Iconium was kind of a cultural melting pot. So there was a, it was a mix. It was sort of like a, you know, metropolitan day or city that you see today, like, you know, like Dallas um, would be a pretty metropolitan city, you know, Los Angeles, New York, these big cities with lots of different people from lots of different cultures. Uh, lots of different places that they come from. So there was a mix of Greeks and Jews uh, and Romans and people that had arrived there more recently. Um, you know, as you know, the, the Greek Empire had been in control of the world, you know, of that part of the world, uh, Europe area. 
um, in the Middle East um, for many centuries, and then the Roman Empire came into power, um, you know, a couple hundred years before Paul and Barnabas were there. Um, and so there was a mix of lots of different types of people. And, um, and we see again that Paul and Barnabas went where first? What was their first stop as they came into a new city? The synagogue, as was their custom. They went to the Jews, the Jewish leaders first, and they preached the gospel. And generally they were rejected uh, by the Jewish leaders. Uh, sometimes they gave them a little bit of latitude and let them preach there for a little while, but uh, um, quite often they, were, they became angry fairly quickly and, uh, and they got kicked out of there. So and it says there in verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brothers. Um, so people stirred up trouble. These religious leaders stirred up a lot of trouble um, for Paul and Barnabas. Uh, and it says there that they poisoned their minds. Does that, does that type of thing happen today? Do people's minds get poisoned? Yeah, of course. You know, and it's, it's interesting. It's no different. Sometimes we think, you know, that's kind of a new thing and people... You know, all these bad ideas are always coming in. But uh, I don't know about you, but the longer that I'm around and experience bad ideas and worldly uh, trends, the more I, and I, more I study God's word, I just, to me, it's like what Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. It's all the same. It's just packaged a little bit differently, but it's all the same deceptions and same evil uh, that's out there. So it says, their minds are poisoned, and how, do, how does one go about poisoning the mind of another? How do you accomplish that? Poison their mind. False teaching, False teaching. yeah. And I would say uh, lies. Yeah, lies are the way that you do it, or false teaching. You, you tell them stuff that's just not true. Sometimes the person that's telling you that knows it's not true, um, but sometimes they don't, but either way, it's lies. It's, it's things that are just not true. And that's why, you know, you see lies are something that, uh, you know, it's just foundational to trust and to relationship, um, that the truth, that is. And those that tell lies can destroy and cause commotion. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, I would say that we as believers, uh, we need to be, you know, wise as serpents and gentle as doves, right? So when people are telling us things, we need to be a people that don't just accept it because that's one of the problems too is that lies are told. And to me, it's just amazing how people just accept things that are told to them. Okay, that must be true because I saw it on so-and-so and, you know, I believe it. Uh, but we need to be discerning, right? That we, we can't just give in to uh, false information um, quite so easily. So lies are, are a big deal. Um, you know, you see in the Ten Commandments, and that we shouldn't bear a false witness. And so, uh, but people's minds can definitely be poisoned. So someone read for me uh, verse 3. So they remained for a long time, seeking boldly for the Lord, to witness to the word of his grace, creating signs and wonders to the government. Okay, so I was going to um, stop and, and park on this verse for a minute. Um, because it talks about signs and wonders being done by their hands. We see here that Paul and Barnabas, uh, they bore witness, and God granted them uh, signs and wonders. So also, you know, it, it mentions there in verse 3 the, the word so, 
or in some translations, it'll say, therefore. And uh, many people think that may be a mistake, and maybe there's something, you know, because it doesn't totally make sense um, why it would be a therefore. Um, you know, people often say, you know, what's the therefore, therefore? But I don't think uh, it's a mistake. I think it, it is intended, um, you know, because he just talked about the poisoning of their minds. So why would it be, you know, you know, therefore? I think it might be a therefore because they realize that the work, as long as they can work there and minister there, the work is great. And they wanted to have the opportunity to try and convince people of the truth of the gospel and convince them about uh, Christ. And, you know, we'll see how he, they go into talking about creation and using these things that we can all see together. And so um, I think it was therefore because they wanted, you know, Paul didn't seem like a, a man that was one who would shy away from a, a challenge. So they had a lot of work to do, um, you know, and, and they weren't about to just give up because there was some opposition to what they were doing. They had boldness. And uh, it talks many, many places in Acts about the boldness that they had in sharing the gospel. So, you know, the question for you, do you uh, preach with boldness? Do you have boldness? I think some of us probably naturally have it. Um, some of us are a little bit more, you know, don't want to confront, don't want to get in the middle of an argument and that type of thing. But um, how can you get more boldness? Will someone read uh, Acts 4.29 for us? Oh, we got a microphone in the back, so raise your hand up, and then you can read it in the microphone. Got to flip there first. Acts 4.29, just uh, ten, here we go up, up here. Ronnie will read it for us. Thank you, Ronnie. And now... And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant your slaves and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. Right, so there you have it. They prayed for boldness. So we can ask God to give us boldness, to help us to be strong and to be able to stand up against uh, the lies of the enemy um, and the lies of those that stand against us. And I don't know if you guys have ever had the experience of, you know, trying to share with somebody and, and getting opposition from people. Um, maybe somebody else comes in and starts arguing with you. But, uh, you know, the Lord can definitely grant a boldness there, and you can start to, you know, like, I know I'm on the right side here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going and try and, you know, knock down the arguments that they're presenting here to me. So um, I know I was, I, on my doorstep, I had some, I think it was Mormons, um, on my doorstep, and I had a young guy who was probably 21, 22 years old, um, and he was trying to tell me about Mormonism, and I knew, I you know, had studied it, so I knew a lot of their arguments and a lot of, you know, the, the things that they get wrong, and so I started bringing all these things up, and he was like, oh, I don't know about that. I said, what about in the Bible? You know, because they, they, uh, um, they have some reverence, you know, for Scripture, and I would bring things up to them, and it would be like, well, you know, and um, so I started to kind of win the argument with this guy a little bit. And, like, I, I, I feel like, I, like I, I looked around or, you know, I don't even know what happened, but I, that guy was gone, and there was an older guy there, like a 50- or 60-year-old guy, and he, was, he wasn't having it. So uh, he, uh, he had an answer for everything that I threw out there. So I, I just kind of noticed they had people on our street, and as soon as the young guy started, I don't know if he had a, must have had a red button somewhere. <laughs> 
because he, uh, he brought help in awful quick. So um, we see here I want to talk a little bit about the gifts, because it mentions the gifts here that Paul and Barnabas had. And uh, it's, a, you know, it's a pretty big topic within the church. As you can imagine, there's lots of different churches that teach lots of different things about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, but I wanted to talk to you <clears throat> a little bit about what we call um, the sign gifts. And so the, many people have kind of, if you read through it and study through uh, what the Bible says about the gifts, you'll see that some of them um, are, are sign gifts and some are, it uh, talks about other gifts, you know, the gift of teaching or the gift of uh, encouragement, administrations, and those kind of things, which are not sign gifts. What's the difference between, uh, would you think, between a sign gift and, I don't want to call it a regular gift, but other gifts that are not sign gifts? Yep. Right. Very true. Yeah. It's uh, the purpose of the sign gifts, as we'll talk about, is to validate the messenger. But the sign gifts are miraculous, right? So you see a, a miracle, something, you know, someone's being raised from the dead or uh, is being healed in some, you know, someone has leprosy and you can see it very clearly and then their arm is restored. And so they had these. Uh, sign gifts, and um, the, the different thing about it, that with like how Paul and Barnabas uh, manifested it, and the other apostles, was that um, they seemed to be able, in the situation, they could, you know, kind of pronounce it, and God would, would come in and do the work, and so they, that miracle, those gifts of miracles, you know, kind of followed them around, um, versus, you know, God just doing miracles, but the important thing to understand about the miraculous gifts, because it is such a great debate within the church, is, as Ted brought up, what is the purpose of it? Um, and why uh, does God give these men the sign gifts? Because you see it in Scripture uh, in several different places. And it's interesting if you kind of study through the Old Testament and the New Testament, you kind of see that there's these periods of time when it seemed like there were people uh, that had these supernatural gifts. Like you think of uh, Moses in the Old Testament, you know, with the serpents and, and um, all the different things that, that he could do. Um, and you think of Elijah and the gifts, you know, that the miraculous kind of powers that God gave him. Um, and they were um, different periods of time in there. But what was the purpose of those gifts? And uh, as Ted mentioned, the purpose of the gifts was to authenticate the messenger. So, and the reason for doing that, what was the reason that the messenger needed to be authenticated by these miraculous sign gifts? It was because, at least one reason, uh, they were bringing forth scripture, right? These were folks that were bringing, they were writing down scripture. I mean, Moses obviously uh, was writing down scripture, and at the time of Elijah, there was scripture being written in the time of the apostles and Christ. Uh, scripture was being given, and so uh, God used those miraculous sign gifts to, to show the people, because otherwise, how would you know? I mean, people come by all the time with different messages of how you can be saved. I mean, e even in the, in the church, you know, in the first century, you see Gnosticism and different heresies that, that come around. So people are always coming around with uh, false teachings. So how do you know? And the way that you know uh, who is giving you the truth is by these uh, the sign gifts that God gave them. 
So um, if someone, someone could read Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Got a few scriptures here I wanted to read through. Thanks, Bill. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Okay. And uh, someone could read Exodus 4, 1 through 3. That would be great. If not, I'll just go ahead and do it. Any volunteers? Okay, Richard. Four, one through three, right? Exodus four, one through three. Yep. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. Okay, so you see there um, in Acts chapter 2 um, that it says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by mighty works and wonders and signs that God did. So you see the, the reason that, that those signs that he had, you know, he did those, because obviously he was God in the flesh, and he could have done whatever he wanted. But the reason that he did these miracles was to show the people that he was truly a messenger from God. Um, and, of course, it was really important with him because he was sharing, you know, shocking truths, you know, that he was actually God in the flesh, and he came to take away sins. So he was given those, the ability to perform those signs and wonders um, uh, for the reason of attesting that. And then the same thing you see here with Moses. Um, and there's also, we won't read through all of them, but Hebrews 2, 3 through 4 um, it talks there about the apostles being attested uh, to you by God and the wonders and various miracles. And then 2 Corinthians 2.12, uh, the signs of an apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And so um, obviously a lot could be said about this. We could spend you know multiple Sunday mornings talking about this topic. But uh, the important thing there um, is that the purpose of those signs and wonders was to authenticate the messenger, to bring forth scripture. And since we believe that scripture, the canon of scripture is closed and that there's not new scripture being given uh, since you know, the closing of the book in Revelation, what does that say about these gifts of miraculous signs and wonders? It ceased. Right, and that's, um, that's what's taught here, you know, that the, and there's a lot of debate about that, obviously, within the church. A lot of churches think that it's continuing. Um, I think it's interesting that most of the churches that say it's continuing, what's the gift that's most prominent within the church? Tongues. And why is that? I mean, tongues is one that you can kind of fake, uh, to use that expression. You can, you can make it happen, and I've seen it uh, happening, supposedly, and interpretations and there should always be and anyways it's uh that's the gift but you don't normally see people you know being raised from the dead i think it would it would uh make the news you know people would be talking about it if you could verify it or someone's arm just magically reappearing um those kind of miracles seem to be uh 
not really happening much, but people claim that they are. There's a lot of debate about it, obviously, but, but it's important to understand why those miraculous signs and gifts were given because it was, you know, the giving of Scripture. And, of course, is this to say that God cannot do miracles today? That he can't do something that's truly miraculous? I mean, obviously he can't. So, and we still should pray for healing and pray for, um, you know, pray for situations uh, that we're in. But obviously God can do those things. It's just he hasn't empowered uh, those to, to be able to do them kind of when they want to, sort of like we see with Paul and Barnabas. Okay, so uh, someone read verse 4 of Acts chapter 14, back to uh, the chapter. Okay, I'll just go ahead and read it. Um, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. So we see that the people were divided. Um, and is that a problem today? Is that still a problem? Is that, how, is that passed away? <laughs> yeah, obviously there's still people out there dividing us. And we're still, people are allowing themselves to be divided by believing lies for the most part is how it happens. And the, the world is constantly trying to divide us. And you think of all the different classes of people and all the different groups they're trying to push us all into. Um, so the world is constantly uh, dividing, and it's, it's obviously a continuing problem. In verses 5 through 7, you know, it says, But when a, um, a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, um, and so the world hates nothing more than those who boldly preach the gospel and those that uh, that share the truth with power. Um, and so you see that continually, and you, you see there that um, they became aware of it and they fled and they got out of there. So we also see wisdom being employed, right? So. Just if you're being in a situation where they're abusing you and and attacking you and start th throwing stones at you, you don't have to stay there. So we saw in Acts chapter 13, what did they do to demonstrate their uh, protest against the city that rejected them? Shook the dust off. I'm going to get the very dust of that city is not even going to be stuck to me. I'm going to get rid of it. And we see the disciples in Christ's ministry doing that as well. So verses 8 through 10, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. So now they were on to uh, Lystra. So you can look on your map and see where that is. So they're going to these different towns there in Asia Minor and modern-day Turkey and moving around. And... Um, we see here that Paul crippled a man and, uh, and did a miracle. Someone, um, you know, that had been crippled from birth, and that we often see that. This is not someone that got injured, um, but someone that had uh, some sort of a birth defect and was never able to walk. So these miracles are, you know, kind of hard to uh, deny that God did something miraculous here versus the, the, mir the mir quote-unquote miracles you see today where, you know, I have a bad back, and you know, he'll say something like, uh, you know, I, I really feel like God's telling me someone here is their back hurts. 
I'm like, well, if you've got anybody over about 20 years old in your congregation, I think you're going to find that. Uh, so I can attest to that. There's probably people in here. Is there anybody in here with their back hurts? Let's say mine does. Yeah. <laughs> in verses 11 through 14, um, we see there the crowds uh, saw what Paul had done. Um, they lifted up their voices. Uh, they called him, uh, they called Paul, what, what Roman god did they call him? Zeus was Barnabas, right? Paul was Hermes, right? He was Hermes, which is kind of a fun name to say, you know, call one of your kids Hermes. Uh, but um, Hermes was the messenger god, and so um, it made sense, you know, Barnabas was probably more, you know, more regal and more kingly and more strapping. Uh, Paul was the messenger. Um, but I wanted to, well, well, I'll try and get to it in a minute. There was a kind of an interesting uh, explanation of, of Paul and describing him, but um, we see there that um, it was their custom to tear the garments to show their sadness. Um, you, you see that happening in the Old Testament. You know, they would tear their garments uh, over what they saw happening and the, decep- the deception that was going on. Um, it's interesting here that the text calls both Paul and Barnabas uh, apostles, and it you know, clearly states that Paul, uh, Barnabas was an apostle. So was Barnabas an apostle? Have you guys seen that before? So like a lot of these terms, it can get confusing um, if you don't understand that it's used in those words like, kind of like elder. You know, what does elder mean? So it means an older, an older person, right? So we have some, oh, well, there's nobody in here that's, that's old, but we have some people that are, elder, you know, the elderly. Um, but uh, in, the, in the more specific sense, there's, there's kind of more an, an official. Way. Sometimes people will say like a big, a big A apostle and a little A apostle. So some elders are elders because they're older, and some are, that's an official office within the church. Same thing with apostle. Uh, Barnabas was clearly an apostle in that the word literally means a sent one, one who's sent out, uh, like missionaries uh, would be um, someone that you could call an apostle, uh, what we might say a little a apostle. And then a big a apostle would be Paul, who was uh, one of the 12, and he was officially recognized. He wasn't one of the 12 that went with Christ, but he was brought into that later. Um, and officially recognized, and there's lots of scriptures that make that case uh, as an official apostle. And do we have a, you know, big A apostles in the church today? No, but many people like to claim that they are. But again, going back to the reason uh, for the office of the apostle was for the, the spreading of the, the gospel, the bringing forth of scripture, those that had seen Christ and uh, walked with him. And we know that Paul, you know, saw Christ on the road to Damascus and was, was instructed directly by Christ for a great period of time since he didn't see him, uh, didn't see him as he was walking around. Um, so moving on, you know, time, time is short. I wish I could talk more about these things. Uh, we see verse 15 to 18. Um, it says, why are you doing these things? Um, the men <clears throat> with the same nature as you preach that you should turn from these and less to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that are in them and bygone generations allowed the nations to walk in their ways. So um, we see there in, in verses 15 to 18 a common refrain that they appealed to what? To make the case of the gospel. To creation. 
right, to the things that were created, um, the things that we can all see. It's kind of hard to deny, you know, the creations out there, the heavens are out there, you know, the, the stars are out there. Everything is here. It's, it's functioning in such precision. Um, the human body, all, the bodies of all of us, uh, animals, everything, it functioned with such precision. It's hard to deny that all this is happening. The question is, how did it come to be? Um, and, you know, prior to the, the theory of evolution that became prominent, it wasn't really prominent in the world uh, before Darwin. It was around, but there wasn't lots of people that believed it. Now, of course, we see today a lot of people believe it, and that is, you know, such an affront, you know, to God to, to say that all of this created itself. It's kind of an amazing thing, but you can establish with people, uh, and often missionaries will do that, you know, there's a creation. We have to talk about how did it get here now, and that's the question. And so then how you answer that question will determine uh, where you go in your theology. So um, going on in verses 19 through 20, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead, However, when the apostles gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he parted with Barnabas to Derbe. So we see there that Paul um, took quite a beating. Um, even when you're doing great good, you know, when we are preaching the gospel, when we're out there doing what God would have us to do, does that mean that we're going to have this, you know, safe and wonderful, perfect life? No, of course not. There's, there's a lot of uh, animosity and a lot of... Uh, um, persecution and resistance to those that want to share the gospel. Um, we haven't seen it, you know, as much in this country uh, in, the, in the past, but it's, it's starting to happen, and you're starting to see it more and more, where you will be persecuted um, and possibly, you know, even beaten and dragged out, as Paul was, for proclaiming the truth of, of Christ. But, um, you know, as, you know, as we're told in Scripture, it's not us that they hate what is it it's christ and it's the message of the gospel that's what they hate so it's not you that they hate but we see that he did this and then he got up um went about 40 miles to derby which is quite a trek uh when you've just been beaten almost to death um so it's kind of an amazing uh thing that we see there uh, with paul and possibly god you know kind of healed him and restored his health to where he could make this trip after being beaten, you know, perhaps when he was beaten, he was knocked out fairly easily, and they thought he was dead, but uh, he got back up and kept going, and so um, he made his trip there about 40 miles, which is uh, quite a walk. Um, if any of you guys have ever walked 40 miles, it's, it's a way I haven't, but I, I have no desire to. I've walked 20-something miles, but that's, that's enough, um, and we see here, you know, it's just kind of an interesting thing, um, you know, Paul made quite an impression, you know, in this region, in Iconium, and specifically. And there was kind of an interesting quote from F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, who is a kind of a biblical archaeologist um, that's, you know, fairly well known. Um, but he writes that the impression is reflected in the description of him preserved in the second century Acts of Paul, a description so vigorous and unconventional that it must surely rest upon a local tradition of what Paul looked like. One on on Onesiphorus, a resident in Iconium, sets out to meet Paul, who is on his way to the city, and he saw Paul approaching a, small, uh, a man small in size with meeting eyebrows and with a rather, rather large nose. It's funny that he points that out. Bald-headed, 
So those of you that are bald-headed, you're in good company. You're good. Um, I'm, I'm well on my way. Uh, bow-legged, strongly built, full of grace, for at times he looked like a man, and at times he had the face of an angel. Uh, it's from F.F. F. Bruce, uh, his commentary in the book of Acts. So, um, so it's just kind of interesting. You know, it's not, not a biblical account, but it's a very early historical account of someone that ran into Paul and gave us a little bit of a description. So if you're wondering what Paul looks like, there you go, bald-headed and bow-legged. So uh, maybe not what you had thought. But it is interesting, you know, when you see the, the account of Paul and Barnabas there, uh, and in many places, you know, it seems that Barnabas was the more physically, uh, you know, powerful-looking, more kingly, more regal, and Paul was not as much. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about that, too, in, in light of Christ. You know, Isaiah 53, it says, what about Christ? He had no form or comeliness that we should desire him, right? He wasn't good-looking. So like it says, Paul, Saul was good-looking, um, a good-looking man, but Christ, it, it mentions in Isaiah 53, was not. So it wasn't about his looks. It was about the message, and the same is true with Paul. Um, so continuing on here, verses 21 to 25, And when he had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed uh, with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had reached the word in Pergo, they went down to Adaliah. So get out your map, read through all these uh, different locations. It's pretty interesting. Lystra was about 18 miles from Iconium. Um, and Lystra, interestingly, was where um, Lois, Eunice, and Timothy uh, were at. That's where they lived. Um, so, and it talks about strengthening the soul of the believers. You know, how do you do that? Have you done that? You know, how do we strengthen the souls of others? It's something that we, I think, as believers should be partaking in and trying to strengthen others, build them up, uh, help them, challenge them, you know, um, reading books or reading uh, things from the scriptures. And also it says they appointed elders in every church. You know, and of course there's a lot that could be said about that, but it's an important point that they make, that they mention here, that the local church needs to be organized and there is a leadership uh, that God has instituted. And uh, so they appointed elders. They didn't just set up a church and just let it go, right? They didn't just let the congregation uh, and no clear leader. They made sure there was a, an appointed leader in that church, which is uh, an important thing for us to, to realize in the way that churches need to be organized. And then finishing off, um, verses 26 to 28, from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. In verse 28, uh, they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So God was working amongst the Gentiles, opening doors. You don't see that Paul and Barnabas really had hardly any success with the Jewish leaders, um, but you do see that they had success with those that were not as you know, educated um, in the, the Bible, and that he worked there among the Gentiles. And then it says they stayed there a long time. 
So, which I kind of like that because I like just sort of staying in one place uh, for a long time. And they stayed there even though they were traveling all through the, the region and Turkey and Europe and all that. Um, they were happy to stay there. They weren't in a hurry. God isn't, Warren Wearsby wrote a book that uh, it's called God Isn't in a Hurry, which uh, I, I really like that message. We don't have to be in a hurry. We can just, you know, continue on where God has us um, and, and continue to preach the gospel and continue to strengthen the disciples and, you know, you know, sharpen one another in God's word. All right, so time is up. Let me close up in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, just thank you for this morning and for this opportunity to, uh, to talk about Acts chapter 14 and to be blessed by your word, Father, by your spirit teaching us. And we just um, want to give you glory and give you thanks and praise you in all of these things. Amen. All right.